Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Podcast, where every week we talk fashion, luxury, and technology with the people making things happen in the industry. I'm your host, Jill Manoff, and on today's episode, I sit down with Somsek Shakunmung, creative director at Alex Mill. Somsek is a veteran in the industry who had reached the summit at J. Crew in 2017, replacing the legendary Jenna Lyon. He stepped down from there to take on this new role at what is essentially a startup. So I had to ask him all about that and more. Stay tuned. Hey, Somsek, welcome. Hey, how are you? Good. Thanks for being here. No, of course. So I'm noticing your your arms of tattoos. Yes. Is this yes, your accessory? Yes, yes. Uh, go your. I don't know. Does this define you? <laughs> Is this your accessory of the day? Are you always have your sleeves rolled up? They're rolled up, even if they weren't tattoos on my arms. I just remember the first tattoo I got. I probably cried the week after, just thinking. What the heck did I just do? Flash forward to 20 years later, I'm like, I was just saying, like, now I don't even see them in the mirror. I see the spaces that don't have them. Yes. It's like a sickness of some sort, but see? it's good, I think. Yeah. yeah. What, what's your style? Are you representing right now an Alex Mill? We'll yeah. dig into Alex Mill. Got to learn the, all about that. The pants are Alex Mill and the shirt's just a vintage shirt. So it's always a combo of vintage and Alex Mill pretty much these days. Right on. Yeah. You and had- a pair of tie-dye socks that my sister did that we sell at the store Stuff with yeah. some great sneakers and with a little sneakers. pop of neon pop yep yep i like it yep. we need to do a street style photo when you're done um yep <laughs> we will for uh. sure so you've had quite the career let's like let's yeah. start from the very very beginning yes. uh, do you have a traditional i would say background for a designer for a creative director whether it's parsons or a fashion school Parsons, Czech. Yes. I have that. Yes. Uh, I grew up in Canada, and uh, I come from a very small family. It's just my mom, my dad, and my sister. I remember growing up in uh, primary school, my sister had always wanted to be in fashion design. I didn't know what that was. Uh, We would uh, be in art class, and there'd be a stack of uh, fashion magazines in the back of the room, and instead of cutting them up, my sister and I would sort of borrow them and take them home and rescue them we didn't want them cut up because we just thought they were so beautiful and the images inside were just so beautiful so years years we just kept borrowing and amassing this collection of magazines and if you go to my house today there's just stacks and stacks and stacks of just fashion magazines and I remember just flipping through the magazines one day and just seeing all the great designers that I loved you know Mark Jacobs Isaac Mizrahi and um the commonality with a lot of them were was the name Parsons. And I was like, you know what? I think that's where you have to go to be a designer, maybe. Yeah. And it was in New York, which I was like, okay, that's another plus. So uh, fast forward, I ended up at Parsons in uh, 95 and graduated in 99. Got it. Yeah. Let's talk about yeah. that because, again, back in the day or um, those iconic designers, it's where they all went. Do you think if you were going through the motions again and you wanted to get in this industry, you'd take the same path? Is Parsons still as required as it was? I haven't been uh, to a Parsons class in a very long time, but we do get students who you know have interned there or who work there that intern for us. Yeah, and the education is still pretty good there. I think um, what I've always loved about Parsons when I was going there, it was... Uh, very American kind of school. I think it was American sportswear. So I think that might be a little bit missing in the curriculum these days. Uh, I don't know who's teaching that kind of stuff. I think 
there's definitely a wearability uh, to American sportswear that I have always gravitated towards. It's a focus on classics, it's color, it's joyous, it's happy, it's not complicated. So, yeah, I think if, if you want to be that kind of designer, I think Parsons back then was a really good school to go to. Yes. So yeah. when did Madewell come in? Did you work your way up the ranks? Were you working at uh, as an intern and at smaller brands before then? Yeah, I think my first job out of school was uh, Diane von Furstenberg. Oh, nice. And I remember uh, coming home from being out or whatever, and my answering machine had a light on it. Remember answering machines? There was a message on there. It was like, oh, hey, this is Helene Stein from DVF for HSN. I was like, DVF for HSN? What does that even mean? And then I was like, oh, wait, hold on. I know. Diane von Furstenberg. So I interviewed. It was for her home, her home shopping network line. I don't even know that was a thing. I know. And what? so I was there for probably a year, learned tons. You know, Helene, my first boss, was a great boss. Um, the idea of dressing America was definitely something that came with Home Shopping Network. Um, but, you know, not having to dumb things down, which was a very Diane sort of point of view. Um, so then I left that job and I quickly got to J. Crew. I met with Jenna Lyons. Oh, amazing. I remember the first meeting with her, she asked what I was interested in. And I said, women's wear. And she's like, well... We have two openings. It's for menswear and accessories. I was like, okay. And she's like, I meant menswear. <laughs> and I was like, okay, you tell me. And she's like, no, you tell me what you want to do. And I was like, uh, let's do accessories. And she was like, great. And so, I mean, J. Crew was very that kind of place, I think. If you worked hard, if you were open to things, people were open to you sort of like doing things, you know, the way you wanted to do them and just sort of experimenting and just being creative. And so I was there for probably. 10 years and then I left for a little bit and I came back and did Madewell. So I did, uh, I helped a friend do a little startup called Trademark. It was a quick thing. And then I got a call from Mickey Drexler and Jenna Lyons and they were asking if I'd be interested in this Madewell, taking over Madewell and sort of revamping it in in a way, I think. Okay. And I was there for probably three years. Great. Talk, let's circle back to this Jen Alliance meeting, the very yeah, first yes. meeting. Was this back in the day, like you're taking your portfolio? And <laughs> How does the meeting go? Oh, yeah. The, the crazy thing was I was freelancing. And I remember a friend of mine, who my best friend, she had gotten a call from J. Crew saying, oh, there was an opening at J. Crew. Would you want to go? And she was like, no. Do you want to go? I was like, sure. I don't have a job. I'll go. So had she not told me about it, I never would have ended up in, you know, this oppor- with this opportunity. And we were sitting there. I remember exactly what she wore that day. Uh, she was amazing, I think. Uh, everyone I met was amazing that day. And I got the job. Were you more eyeing out of school? Like, were you thinking high fashion, something more luxe, luxury fashion? What were you thinking? What were you aiming for? I mean, I think every student sort of... Uh, things along those lines, but I think having had, um, just knowing the kinds of stuff I was wearing, the kinds of clothing that my friends were wearing and what we could afford, uh, I think I was really happy with, you know, J. Crew. I think it was a good balance of being creative, but also being wearable. And I think that's always been something that I've always been attracted to. I think it's, I always liken it to, uh, like a math problem of sorts. Like, I love problem solving and 
I work better with parameters. I think, you know, whether it be a price or a demographic or, you know, I think sometimes when I'm given carte blanche, I freeze up a little bit. I like a challenge, that kind of challenge. Yeah. Yeah. What was J. Crew like when you, your first round you, when you were with the company? It was that kind of their heyday and you were living large? It wasn't their heyday yet. Okay. So we got there and things were kind of um, a little more basic, I think. And I was there for a year. And then one day, I remember, we got a PA announcement being like, everyone head over to, I think it was Cooper Union. We were going to meet our new boss, and it was Mickey Drexler. And I think that full week was an upheaval of sorts. People were nervous, but there was definitely a a level of excitement in the air because I think things that we had wanted to change were about to change, I think. And especially with uh, design, I think Mickey, having worked with him for as long as I have, has been a huge proponent of design and creativity. Whether it be in merchandising, marketing, or design, I think it's just, to be creative, I think you have to, as a designer, to be creative, you have to sort of be given the reins and permission to be creative, and I think he's really good at that. Yeah, so was it yeah. more kind of, uh, I don't want to say gap, but like, like a gap, basics, and I don't know, I just know J. Crew as being more nowadays yeah or in the oh, last couple of years mixed prints and like what, what did all that happen the style guide and it was yeah very, yeah 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 i think that was the start of it i think i remember we uh as, as designers were asked you know what things do we love and what things don't we love and we quickly went down the line and we quickly asked the things that weren't we weren't loving or feeling like was brand appropriate and the things that we were loving we sort of made bigger color was a huge thing that was sort of a huge unlock for us I think no one was really doing color that way and I think it's something that I continue to do here at Alex Mill I think color um, quality design that's accessible you know I think that's really important I think sort of being able to sort of figure out those three components but still make it emotional I think emotion is so important today um, so that's been, um, I think I remember those days mo- ma- mainly for that kind of stuff. Yes. Yeah. Madewell. Let's touch on that before you dig into Alex Mill. Yeah. Uh, I mean, not touch on it. It's kind yeah, of yeah, a big yeah, deal. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so what was the struggle? What were you looking to solve when they brought you in? I think with Madewell, it had been around for probably six to seven years. And I think by the time I got there, there was, uh, I remember someone saying once, what wasn't in the store was as important as what was in the store. So making sure there was a tight edit, I think. It was missing an edit of sorts. I think it may have strayed a little bit one way. I think we need to sort of recalibrate and get into the straight and narrow almost and set up parameters and guidelines and sort of like these bumpers at the side where if it veered too far, it would knock itself back, I think. Being able to sort of say, what do we want to stand for in that? If that was denim then making sure that everything we put in the store you could wear with denim, you know, and that you could make outfits. I always remember walking to the store earlier, I think there were a lot of younger girls with their moms, and I always noticed that the moms weren't buying stuff. I was like, it was only the girls. I was like, that's sort of strange. Why don't we get everyone who comes into the store to get something? And not just one thing, but an outfit. So I think that was a huge uh, unlock in my brain. Let's just make these clothes accessible to all ages. The colors be classic enough and emotional enough and have uh, jeans sort of be the base of everything because I was wearing jeans every single day. I know everyone was, so yeah, it was almost simplifying things. Yes. I think it was just simplifying things, editing things, getting rid of things that we didn't like. 
Women love Madewell jeans. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I worked with a great team there. Um, so it wasn't all me, but yeah, I think it was. It, it's gotten to a really good place. So going from interviewing with Jenna, saying, I want to work in women's wear, working in <laughs> yeah. menswear, working in women's wear. Yeah. Now you're back Accenture, in menswear. Yeah, yeah. Did you find your passion in menswear? What, what, what's the deal? I mean, I've always loved menswear just because I can wear it. You know, I think yeah. I think up until Alex Mill, I had dabbled it in a little bit uh, at J. Crew, but not to this extent. I think I wasn't really designing it. I was overseeing it, which is a huge difference. Picking fabrics, picking colors. Um, I think it was a huge learning curve, too. I think with menswear, the subtlety is so subtle. Like an eighth of an inch will make the biggest difference. And I remember with some of the first Alex Mill samples I put together, we were all in a room and Mickey, I could see his eyes just widening, being like, oh my gosh, what is that? And I was like, no, no, hold on, hold on, hold on. And I think, you know, it was a quick learning. It was just sort of being thrown in. And I knew I could do it. I think it was just like sort of like being very precise about what I was going to do and how I was going to say it. And I think with menswear, it's so precise. Yes. You know, the colors, the the colors are so exact. They have to be exact. Yeah. Definitely. Let's talk about the Alex Mill concept. So how long have you been with the company? How long has the company been around? Alex Mill has been around since 2012. It was started by Alex Drexler, so Mickey's son. Uh, I remember... It being a great store, it was a tiny store on Elizabeth Street. It was really, you know, well-made stuff, uh, high-quality fabrics, silhouettes, very classic, but still very emotional in terms of the washes they would put in, just the shirts and sort of like the pants and the jackets. There was like a wardrobe staple for a lot of guys. Uh, And then that was 2012, and then 2016, I think, I left J. Crew in October. I took some time off. Uh, it was probably October, and then I got a call in January from Mickey. But up until, you know, from October to January, Mickey was calling me maybe every week. We, I always joke he was like my fairy god agent, <laughs> trying to hook me up with, like, all these opportunities and just having me meet with people and, you know, I'll always be forever grateful for just looking after me. Mickey, and I think, nice. Yeah, he's so nice, just so nice. And I think... Um, so January came along, and he called me. I remember I was in line at Whole Foods because I wasn't working, and I could be in line at Whole Foods in the <laughs> afternoon. Uh, he was like, hey, would you ever want to meet with Alex about Alex Mill? I think there's huge potential there. Let's get together and see what you think. You know, meet him and see what you think. And so I think it was on a Sunday we met. I think we hit it off. You know, we, we just talked about uh, the common desires of what was missing from what was out in the fashion landscape and some of the things that we were just loving, we've always loved. And by the time the conversation had ended, I think we sort of knew that we wanted to do something. But I didn't probably step into an office until like April. Okay. April of 2018. (laughs) Uh, And then that's when we actually like pen to paper started sketching and working on it. Going to town. So it it was menswear when you joined. It's since expanded categories to women to what else? Yes, it's 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 we added we made the collection for men's a more well-rounded collection. So I think by the time I got there, it was only t-shirts and shirts. We added pants back. We added jackets, a full a full wardrobe for guys, and I think then we added women's. And I think um, we talked a lot about. I think people were asking, you know, why 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 do we need? Why are we doing this? Like, why do we need more clothes? And it was the idea of not more clothes, but the right clothes. 
You know, I think yeah. we were missing. We felt like the market needed the right clothes. It was either either very affordable and very basic, or very expensive and very trendy. But in the middle, we were trying to find stuff and stuff that wasn't mass either. You know, something that felt very special, uh, and that was very hard to find. I think um, we were like, well, why don't we start? You know, Alex Mill, and I think with the men's store that used to be on Elizabeth Street, we. We're saying that a lot of women were coming into the men's store yep. and asking, "Hey, do you have um, women stuff?" And the answer was always no. But some of the women would still buy the men's stuff. Okay. So that was a huge like ding. Like let's also add women's. I think there's a the philosophy we were you know sort of like putting out there is something that all sexes can sort of like plug into. It wasn't exclusively for men's. I think. Uh, uncomplicated style that was affordable. Why is that just a men's thing? It should be for women's. I think we all live very busy lives, mm-hmm. and let's just take out the complication and having to get dressed. Yeah, let's take a quick break. Let's talk about that leap. Kind of a yeah. huge jump from a J. Crew Madewell, big. Mm-hmm. I don't know, American iconic brand to a startup. Yeah, like was it jarring? Was it? What did you find? Maybe you had more freedom, or what was kind of. The big, the big move. What, what did it feel like? Yeah, yeah. I think I always tell people it's the, it's like the biggest catch twenty two. It's the hardest thing I've ever done, but it's also the most rewarding thing I've ever done. I think, in terms of being creative, the lack of layers is a huge thing. I think things just happen quicker. Like you know, if we need something done, everyone gather around or you yell over the wall. What do you think about this? And yes or no, and it's done. Um, you know, I think. When we were launching the website, I literally was on Shopify, which I had no idea what that. I was Shopify, Spotify. I was mixing them up all the time. <laughs> I was like organizing sort of like the landing pages and uh, in the you know in between taking out the recycling or like the biggest thing is like staples. I need staples. Oh wait, hold on. I have to go get the staples. There isn't a, a supply closet that we just go grab stuff from. Uh, so I mean, it's hard work, but it's it's. I mean, scale is a huge thing. I think scale and the amount of work is a huge thing, but also the speed and sort of the level of uh, transparency that you can work on. Yeah. Yeah. How large is the company? How many people? I think it's probably like eight full-time people, and then okay. we have a, a bunch of um, consultants and freelancers who we we plug in and out with. Yeah. Yeah. So acquiring yeah. customers. I know you have yeah. a pop-up that was open recently. Yes. Are you relying, I would assume, heavily on digital marketing, Facebook, yes. Instagram? Yes. What's going on? Yes. So it's it's uh it's all that. It's all that. I think it's we we approach it with a a very macro and micro sort of strategy. I think we had when we first launched, we obviously had some big names, I think Mickey and myself, I think we could get a press, like a, a, a good amount of press. I think we had a great PR team who we reached out to, you know, we had a great article with Business of Fashion, Vogue.com wrote about us. I don't think, I was I was pretty happy with the amount of press we were getting. So on that level, and then we also have a wholesale strategy. I think that was really important as a startup. Yes. Quote, unquote, startup. I think it was the idea of helping to get our name out there, but also finding the right partners who we shared, you know, common values and uh, sort of picking those partners and trying to get our name out there. And then also, you know, influencers and digital, but then also 
very sort of micro strategies, I think. Um, having this pop-up store, I think, yeah. has been so great. I think you, you don't know the number of people that walk into the store each day that don't know who we are. And so that's just like street traffic. That's people out there who don't know who we are, but who've just sort of stumbled on us. And you can't really stumble on something yeah. online as much, I think. I think you have to sort of be directed to a little bit more, I think. Yeah, I think one of the early uh, retail partners was Barney's. Can you talk about yes. <laughs> kind of who makes a, a good partner, how you're kind of feeling that out, especially while everyone is kind of struggling? Not everyone. Yeah, I think... Um, what I love about our wholesale, wholesale partnerships, it's, it's, it's a good range of people. You know, I think from the big players to some very small, intimate boutiques, which we love too. And I think Alex in 2012 had been a wholesale company, and there were a lot of wholesale people on that list. So we stuck with a few who've been loyal, we've been loyal with them, and we just, you know, I think... Mr. Porter had been selling Alex Mill for a really long time, so when we launched Women's, let's get Netta Porte also. So it was a natural sort of uh, connect. Uh, but then we also work with Bird out of Brooklyn and Stag out of um, L.A. and Austin. And just another thing, like we have this store on Green Street, and a lot of the people that come in, you know, will ask, like those who have known us, how do you know us? And it's been, oh, we, we've shopped with you through Bird. We've seen you at Barney's. So it's kind of like this strange connection between all the wholesale accounts, whether they're big or small, and just sort of like being able to like register ourselves in people's minds, you know, whether they're just flipping through racks in other people's stores. So it's been kind of a very organic, but... Uh, strategic kind of yeah. move. What else? Your pop-up was six-month pop-up launched in summer? It opened correct? It opened in June. Yep. And it probably will go to the end of the year. Got it. So yeah. no plans to make it permanent. We hear a lot about like testing and uh-huh. then just moving in. Uh-huh. Well, we'll see. I think we're, we're uh, I'm happy with the kinds of uh, things I'm learning through a pop-up. Yeah, so you know, what are you learning? I think, I, well, I just think we used to, it was, it was a strange phenomenon that we used to get at the office. All of a sudden, well, not all of a sudden, but once in a while we would get a knock on the door. We used to get a knock on the door. And we were on the 10th floor of an office building. And they, we would open the door and be like, hello. And they were like, hello. And they would peek in and they'd be like, is this the Alex Mill store? We're like, well, no, it isn't. It's the office. <laughs> but it would happen maybe like once every two weeks. And we thought that was very strange. But then we would welcome them in. They're like, no, this is the office. Come in. We have samples. Would you want to try on stuff? We're here to help you. What kind of, what kind of, how can we help you? <laughs> and so it was interesting to see, like literally see, people wanting a retail space of some sort. You know, I think it was uh, whether they wanted to touch the fabric or try stuff on or get the brand vibe. Um, it was great. So having now this pop-up, it's been great. For me, the most has been customer feedback and just me and customers. Literally the other day, a guy was in and he had a pair of our cropped trousers, but he, I think, was six feet two, so they were way too cropped. Yeah. Them. And I was like, no, 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 hold on. Don't walk away. We can lengthen those. And so I got my on my hands and knees and I unclipped the bottom and we just folded them down. And he was like, wait, you're right, you're right. And so just being able to do things like that and talk yeah. to people face-to-face has been invaluable to me. Got it. Yeah. Ideally, would you have store in every large city? Like, what's your retail strategy? Or oh, what makes sense? Oh, gosh. I think, um, for me, it's, it's been uh, a great sort of learning opportunity. I, I don't think every city 
that hasn't even come up. I think we're sort of taking <laughs> one day at a time. We can, we were focusing on uh, the one store and just getting that right first. Yep. I think, yeah, yeah. But definitely, I mean, ecom has been a huge focus of ours, also. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. DTC is what percentage of the business? Uh, DTC versus versus wholesale. Wholesale. I would say probably. I mean, in terms of the amount of time I spend on making sure <laughs> wholesale functions properly and setting up showrooms, I would say 50-50 yeah. for me. Okay. Yeah, but I think the huge focus has been on um, direct-to-consumer, just in terms of the, the amount of time we put in, the amount of resources we put in has been all to sort of lift our website up and just get our name out there. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, fundraising today. Yes. Is that... What, what's been your approach so far? It's all self-funded right now. And I, I don't think um, there's been any discussion about, you know, opening it up any further than that. I think we have some great advisors, you know, friends of the brand who we plug in and we call, we pick up the phone and ask their opinions on. And I think the great thing about the, you know, the caliber of the talent that we're working with is that we can do that. You know, we have access to some of the, some really good minds out there. Yeah. Yeah. Do you lean? Gosh, are you working? Is Mickey in the mix? I mean, he's an advisor. He's yeah. an advisor, and I think innately, you know, if you have one of the best merchants, in my opinion, the best merchant in the world, it'd be a shame not to plug into him, you know, more than often. I think he's always there for us to ask questions. I think he's always calling us, seeing things around the world, and he's like, "Hey, have you seen this brand? Or have you checked this place out? You should look at this thing." Uh, what about this? What's the selling of this? I think he's he, he's great at that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, great resource. Yeah, great. What's resource. your What's your take on collaborations? I know you did one with Warby Parker. Is it about collaborating with folks maybe who are outside of your expertise, like glasses? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think right now, um, you know, we we definitely have uh, a fashion sort of um, group of fans, which we can. We definitely still need to grow. I think there's still a lot more people out there that you know don't know about us that I would love to know about us. But it's also sort of stepping outside of just the fashion and seeing you know other people. You know what other people are doing. I think whether it be classes or we have a, a, a small collaboration coming up with uh, a chef doing like a, an apron. Uh, so that's a huge another market that we can work with I think you know at the end of the day I think people regardless of what field they're in they love they need clothes they yeah. love good design you know totally yeah. Le- um, uh, leading up to holiday yeah are you going to be running some kind of sales promotions is that are you guys anti-sales it's uh it's something we definitely talk about every single day I think uh, we haven't had a sale up until now and I think what we do right now is we produce in very, very small batches because we just don't know how much to make, you know, I think. And that's been a lot of learning and, you know, how much, how high is too high. And I think, I just think, too, if we were ever to have a, a Black Friday sale, they might, like, what if it wipes everything out? We have nothing to sell until the end of the year. You know, I think it's it's something we're, we're definitely talking about. And we don't want to step into it in the usual way I think being small that also is another perk we don't have to do things we can take risks we can take more risks I think and sort of recover quickly and be more nimble which I I really appreciate and decisions like that I think we can we can be out of the norm a little bit 
Yeah. yeah. Are you working with some of the uh, factories and partners from your past? I'm just wondering uh, how you're able to produce these small batches. I hear from a lot of like smaller emerging brands that uh, they're, they have these quotas from the factories. Yeah. That, you know, that's a struggle. Yeah, it's it's we've Alex has been working with the same factories we're working with today since 2012, and we've had really long-standing relationships, and they've been great, and it's you know it's been a loyal sort of partnership, uh, so that's really helped with these small buys, and that's these these buys are also you know for our DTC, but then we also have our wholesale buys, which also help you know some of those smaller buys be a little less small and a little bit bigger for the factories. Yes. What are you finding yeah. about what buyers are buying? I hear, again, a lot that they're kind of determining what your brand has become known for. If they're buying into shirts, you're going to be the shirt brand. Are you? Is it a struggle to kind of say, get this too, or this yeah, is selling think, for us? Yeah, I think, I've, I've, um, I think that's another thing about having our own stores and having our own website. I think we are able to sort of present our vision in the fullest sort of expression of the way we want to see it. And you can buy outfits and you can mix and match a lot easier. I would say, you know, I think when we were at Barney's, were at Barney's, I think, <laughs> we were doing really well. I think a lot of the brands or a lot of the stores that carry us um, were doing really well with it. I think because I think the context of our prices and our the value we're getting in those stores people were like whoa what is why is it this much like let me take two or t- stock up on three and they were just like picking up and it was doing really well i think so um yeah, yeah. what's working in fashion i feel like there's something a common thread between uh the j crew the madewell the alex mill and yeah. that it's very wearable it's very american yeah for me i think um it's the idea of waking up and not having to overcomplicate things. I think people just don't have the time or I don't know. I mean, on the time off that I took my during my eat, pray, love moment, I think I came back thinking, you know what, how can I simplify things? I mean, that might sound very cliche, but I think you sort of hit a wall. Uh, and I always joke, you know, if it means making more time for me to be on Instagram, then I want it, you know. Like, I just <laughs> want more time to do more things, and I think... Our clothes will give that to you. I think you you don't have to spend hours and you can walk out the door looking good. I think the level of detail that we put into the stuff we make, I think the the emotional factor, I think, is really important in fashion today. I think there's so much stuff out there. I think there's so much basic stuff out there. I think there's so much sort of very trendy stuff out there. I think to be able to design something that's both emotional but still classic and will sort of stand the test of time is uh, I hope to think that we've sort of unlocked that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. speaking of all this stuff, is sustainability yeah. a, a focus for you guys? Yeah, I think it's definitely something we talk about all the time. It's very important, I think, at the end of the day, for me, to make something that's going to last, to make something that you're not going to throw out within the season, to make something that you're going to hopefully maybe pass down to your son or daughter or that to me is pretty cool. You yeah. know, and I think that's the goal for us is just to make these things that you're going to wear more than once. It's it's not a single-use garment. Yeah. You know, I think it's a multi-use garment that you're going to wear out and hopefully love forever. Totally. Biggest challenge is it just kind of amplifying the getting the brand name out there, getting the getting to more customers. Yeah. I think I think that's the huge focus for us today and every day and it was when we launched 
I remember when we first had our when we had our first meeting about um, announcing that we were doing women's. And it's like, wait, hold on, our whole email base is men's. Like, how are we, who are we going to tell? <laughs> how are we going to get to these women? You know, I think um, just getting our name out there, and it's been great. I think we've had some really pleasant surprises with, you know, let's say our jumpsuit. Like, you know, that's been a cool example of word of mouth. You know, I, I don't know the how it happened. Suit. The pink it's jumpsuit. Killer. Yeah, I think there was one Harper's Bazaar article, and then we saw an editor from Al, Nikki, she was wearing it, and then slowly we were seeing it selling out more and more and more, and girls were coming in in groups to buy each one leaving with one jumpsuit. So I think a combination of all, you know, whether it be the digital component or the, the wholesale component, I think the word-of-mouth component has been a really pleasant surprise, and, you know, word-of-mouth is not dead, which... I'm happy for. Yeah. <laughs> Thank goodness for word of mouth. Yeah. One more question yeah. I have to ask. When yeah. you took over for Jenna Lyons at yes. one point, yes. did, that that happened, yeah? Yes. I just feel like she's such a, <laughs> so beloved and well-known. Yes, yes, did you yes. get some, some hate mail? Some <laughs> Who's this guy? No, no. I think up until then, I think... Um, I think the people at J. Crew, the fans at J. Crew, are very loyal. You know, yeah. I think everyone just wanted it to succeed. I think so. There was no hate mail in any way. I think people were uh, sad that Jenna was leaving, but also encouraged that someone who had been at the company for a long time, who had been under you know Jenna and Mickey, was going to sort of take over the reins. So, no hate mail in sight. If you yeah. were lead- heading up J. Crew right now, yeah. what would be the number one thing you would say? What oh, should they do? <laughs> No comment. <laughs> what did I not ask you? That's exciting. Yeah, give me one more thing. Anything that's really working for you guys, whether it's to uh, boost foot traffic, boost follower count, what do you do? Yeah, yeah, something interesting that we did. So we, we've we been doing a huge sort of refurbishing of overstock that we, we have at Alex Mill, and we sort of take old vintage things. I've, I'm a huge fan of vintage, and I remember when yes. we were going to launch... Uh, I was thinking maybe we could do denim, but I was like, the, my favorite pairs of denim are always vintage jeans anyway, so won't we just do that stuff? So we did a, a whole grouping of reworked vintage and over-dye, botanical dye, overstock stuff. And instead of selling it on the website, because the batches we were doing were so small and so special, yeah. like, why don't we sell it on Instagram? We were using the DM component of Instagram to sell things and we would literally say there was like a countdown you know in two days we're going to launch this and one day okay right now we're launching this thing DM us your questions with these 10 items and we were getting questions and then we were literally hey Brittany in the office throw this gene on take a picture send it to this customer and literally the stuff sold out within three hours so it was a very direct sort of gratifying, but also being able to help a customer without having the customer there. Yes. It was a very strange experience, but I think it, it sort of brought huge learning in terms of being able to access and being able to sort of commute with a customer in a very real real time, I yeah. think. Yeah, are know? you doing this regularly? Or what do you see as the potential for, for shopping, selling on Instagram? Yeah, I think it's something we talk about, you know, uh, with every launch that we do. I think we just have to make sure it's the right item to do it with. Uh, I think the small batch things are the easiest things and the things that make the most sense. Uh, we do are we've we've thought about maybe even uh, selling uh, old vintage things on there because each item that we have is different. Yeah. And so to order it online is a little more difficult. So, but then to order it on Instagram, we could literally sort of talk about each item and explain how cool it is one on one. Got it. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Well, 
I think that'll do it. This was fun. Thank you, Sunset. Oh, thank you so much. Of course. Yeah. That's all for this episode, which was produced by Pierre Bienname. Don't forget that we're offering Glossy Podcast listeners 20% off an annual Glossy Plus membership, giving you unlimited access to fashion and beauty stories. Use the code podcast at checkout. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week. <laughs>